again. When you find that, kind of put something there in Isaiah 53 and be prepared to go to Mark 10. You do that then, look up at me and we'll get into the message this evening. I'm glad you're in church. What a great place to be able to come. What a precious thing it is to be able to sing to the Lord. He enjoys that. It's part of worshiping God. And of course, our private worship with the Lord and the time we spend with the Lord ourselves is vital. But what we do is we come together as a group is vital also. Let's speak to you this evening on this subject, what it takes to follow Jesus. And that may sound like a bit of an interesting uh, title. And uh, I'm going to be talking to you, of course, scripturally, but not a deep theological dive on it. I'm for those things when it's appropriate for it. But what I'm talking about are what biblical characteristics need to be in our lives for us to effectively follow Jesus. So that there's no question in anybody's mind, either here in the, in the service tonight or somebody listening elsewhere, there's no question in anybody's mind. I'm not trying to lay out a list of things a person has to do in order to become a child of God or in order to be a saved person. Thank God there's not a list to that. It's a person, Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Him in a heart of repentance knowing that you've sinned against Him. And you trust Him to be your righteousness. Trust Him fully what Christ did. He saves you. It's not a process that you're slowly getting saved, but it is a time when you're actually born again. And uh, I'm glad for that. My birthday is on September 14th, not 14, 15, 16, 17th, and the whole next month. There's a point in time when you're born into the family of God. There may be a process of bringing you under conviction. There may be a process where you were resistant to the Spirit of God. There may have been a process of an awakening in your heart where you just started to hear some things about the Word of God. But the point where you pass from death unto life is that point where your trust in its most simple childlike form is placed on Jesus Christ. And thank God for it. Because when that actually is your case, what will happen in your Christian walk from that time forward, that will be your reset point. When things get confusing in life, overwhelming in life, sometimes things get a bit murky for whatever reasons, you'll always find your reset point as you go back to the fact, I know I belong to Christ because I have the promise and that He's mine. And then you start from there and, and, and start walking straight again. But four things I'm going to give you tonight that... Uh, what it takes to follow Jesus, and these are very basic, but I, I want you to think about this because I believe there's a lot of you in this room that want to actually be followers of Jesus Christ. You want to walk in the steps of your Master. You want to represent Him. You want to know the fellowship of the relationship with Christ. You want to know what that's about. I am not by any means, <laughs> I don't believe that everybody I'm speaking to does. And uh, I just, you got a large enough crowd here that would be totally surprising to me. I would be, it'd be a wonderful surprise. But there's some, some are just kind of hit or miss about things. But I believe, I believe you, many of you really do. And uh, so I want to help you with that. And for those of you maybe are not there, I hope that you'll listen and let the Lord give you an appetite and work on you with that. First thing you know, it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ 
And I didn't try to put these in specific order of importance, so don't try to enumerate it that way. But this one would be, if I had done it that way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fear to lead off with this one. What it takes to follow Jesus, it takes humility to follow Jesus. Real biblical humility. I said we'd start in Isaiah 53. Let me join you there. I have my notes over there in Mark. Isaiah 53, look at the condition that it describes those who are away from the Lord or not following what the Lord wants. Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely He hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Then verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His... What's the next two words? Own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And it goes on to describe in detail those events which will happen seven and a half centuries after that time when Christ was crucified. But yet, it said he, we have turned everyone to His own way. And uh, humility is just the opposite of that. Um, humility is accepting God's way and not asserting ourselves against God. Now God's given you, He's equipped you with a will. That's a capacity to decide, that's a capacity to determine things in your heart and your mind. He's given you that ability, and it's a great gift. It's also a dangerous gift because it's very powerful. Um, <laughs> but he's given that to you. And uh, it's your opportunity to use that for the Lord. Instead of asserting ourselves against the Lord when we understand what His way is. And humility is the willingness to say, I'm willing to follow God's way. And if at any point, my agenda, my way... I find is against the way that God's way is revealed, then I will give way and yield to Him. That's humility. Pride is the exact opposite of it. And, you know, language is very perverse. What's happened with language? It's as impure as so much of life. And, uh, you know, in our nation, pride is touted out as a good word, even in churches. Preachers. It's always fun to me to hear a preacher say something about having pride and then he tries to explain what good pride is. And then especially if it's a preacher that's a biblical preacher, because I've heard him do it, and then you can see his mind trying to figure out because he's trying to reference verses. You know, you're going to be referencing a long time before you come up with one to back that up. Well, I mean pride in a good way. Well, why don't we just use God's words instead, Yeah. Since pride's never used in a good way in the Bible, and uh, it's always always the exact opposite. You know, we understand that humility is is needed to follow Christ. See, it's real basic. Only one of you can be Lord. You can't be Lord and Jesus Lord. 
You can't be the king of your life and Him be the king of your life. Can't be both. He, uh, he is either has the preeminence in our life or He's taking the back seat. And so, it comes down to that. Humility is willing to say, Lord, you're in charge. There was a really neat example I saw of humility in a way, and it's a fellow that some of you, you folks know and our church has heard before. But uh, Dr. Jim Jorgensen was uh, going back a lot of years. We had what was called a monitor's picnic for those who were dorm monitors. Those were those of us who lived in the dorm room and we were theoretically partially in charge of the dorm uh, as far as uh, our room and keeping up with it and all that. A thankless job. Don't, it's a horrible job to have, really. And you're just another dorm dweeb with everybody else and then somebody says, oh, here, you're in charge of this area. That's just a horrible, horrible position, I think. But uh, Brother, Brother Jorgensen is the, the dean of students and uh, academic dean of our college. And we had a picnic for the dorm monitors. Well, that was one bonus because they had food. And if you're a dorm builder, that's happy. And we were playing games and we were playing a game softball. I still remember it. And there were a bunch of people there. And it was, you know, they had a nice place to play and all this. We went to some park in the area. And I, I still remember, I don't remember who the student was, but one of the students was captain of that team. And as they were picking teams, he picked Dr. Jorgensen, who, by the way, is actually pretty good at sports. And uh, he really is. He's, he's still pretty, very active in, in his 70s, and he's pretty good at sports. But uh, they picked him, and as they were figuring out something with the team, I remember that student looking at Dr. Jorgensen and said, what do we do here? And Dr. Jorgensen says, I don't know. You're the captain. Where do you want me to play? And that's literally, he never one time asserted himself to say, do this or do that. He just... Okay, where do you want me? You want me to second base? I'll play second base. But it was funny to me to watch the student's <laughs> face, you know. It's like, oh, okay, what do I do with this? And what was that? That was somebody who said, oh, in this position, I'm just a player. Now, I guarantee you if there was a question about grades, a question about demerits, a question about scheduling their class the next day at the college, I promise you he wouldn't have said to that student, uh, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> no, okay? He'd have been back into his position. But you see the humility is you can go from being in charge of one place and you don't have to be in charge in every place. And humility with God is the fact that we say, God, I appreciate you giving me opportunity and there are some things you just let me make a decision on and maybe it's not a question of, you know, running up against the guardrails of what your Bible tells us about. Uh, but God, when I run into something where I have an idea, I have a preconceived idea, I'm thinking maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that and I see something different, God, I am going to yield to what the Word says. It takes humility to follow Christ. I ask you a question. It's not a leading question. I'm not trying to set you up for anything here. I, I, if you would follow, follow the process of thinking here. Is there anybody here that would disagree with the fact if someone were to say all of us in this room fall short of the example that Jesus Christ set in other words, we don't measure up to what he was. Would anybody have any trouble agreeing with that at all? No? Okay then. That being the case, we would say 
We're not on the level that Christ is, right? Well, with that being the case, that means if we're going to follow Him and be like Him, then doesn't it just stand to reason that we have some things that will need to change? Areas in which we'll have to grow, things we'll have to set aside and things we'll have to adopt. Unless we're already so perfect in our walk, we don't need any improvement. I don't think anybody would be presumptuous enough to even think that. I hope not. You're very foolish if you did. And so, a good example, I told you our other place we're going is Mark chapter 10, not turn, turn to 10, Mark chapter 10. Here's a great example of what I'm talking about here. Why does it take humility to follow Jesus? Mark chapter 10. Look in verse 46, if you will. They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, that was Jesus, with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Now look, look how much latitude Christ gives him. Look how he approaches him. Well, what do you want me to do? Here, the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, What are the next three words? Go thy way. Hey, Bartimaeus, hey, 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 Bartimaeus. I'm going to do something for you and you can do whatever you want with it. Nothing hidden. No kind of trap laid. Just right there it is. He said, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately, he received his sight. What did Jesus tell him to do? He told him to do what? Go his way. He said to him, you go your way. Your faith has made you whole. You can see now. You can see where to travel. You don't have to take anybody by the arm. You don't have to have anybody lead you. You can go whatever direction you need to go. It's yours. Bartimaeus, whichever way you want to go. <laughs> Look what he did with it. And followed Jesus in the way. So Bartimaeus took what Christ had done for him and said, I'll follow you. <laughs> well, I was blind. Now I see. I'll follow you. If you want to know what humility is in following Christ, he says, Bartimaeus, go. Go. You're, you're, you're fine. Go. And he said, okay, I'll go with you. And that's really what the Lord wants us. You'll be a follower of Jesus that requires humility. And then, uh, next thing I saw in there, and not only does it require humility, but it requires reality. We need to face our weaknesses, failures, and sins. And we need to honestly look at our strengths. 
Following Jesus is a real thing. And where it's not a real thing, but people talk about it, it's damaging. Not that following Jesus is damaging, but the hypocrisy of not actually putting it into your life, but yet professing it with the mouth is damaging. We need to face the reality of weaknesses, failures, and sins. There's been many a believer that has known victory on a, on a consistent basis because they face some weaknesses in themselves and say, I can't, whatever it may be in their life. That, whatever anybody else may do, I can't do that because that's an area of weakness and that would take me down. Some people, there are things that spiral you straight down into despair. Uh, some people, there are things that draw into lust and sins of the flesh. Uh, some people, there are things which will uh, cause your anger to take control of things and, and uh, you, won't, you won't honor God in, during that time of uncontrolled anger. I could go on. We could go with the long list, but here's the issue. The issue comes down to this. Uh, you got to face it as reality. I just say, well, I'm not going to ever do that again. Oh, I'm not going to. No. Look, if you have put yourself in step A and step B and it's led to step C where you didn't want to go, and that's happened two times, three times, ten times, a hundred times in a row, you, you're not dealing with reality if you, you think you can mess with A and B. You end up at C. Because that's where that road goes for you. So part of following Christ is reality. You know, Peter had a problem following Christ, didn't he? He followed him very closely and then he'd be way out here. But do you know part of it was? One time when Peter, uh, when Jesus was taking Peter and telling him, you know, that he had weakness and that he wasn't ready, Peter's response was, I am now ready. That's his phrase. I am now ready. I got this. And he got it all right. You know, face the reality. Face the reality of your weaknesses. Well, I don't want to think I'm weak. You are. It's not every part of you. Not every part of you is weak, but there is weakness in everybody. Failures. Face it. In fact, when you face failure with reality, sometimes it can turn out to be very profitable. I saw a sign that was up on the little marquee in town that says, you only fail if you quit. I thought, no, that's one of the dumber signs I've seen in town. No, sometimes you fail without quitting. Continuance in an erroneous position or continuance in, a, in something that doesn't work is not success just because you didn't give up. Someone opens a business and loses $1,000 the first month, $2,000 the second month, $3,000 the third month, another $1,000 the fourth month, and so on for the first year. They were not a success because they didn't close the doors. No, they would be a success if they finally started making a profit in their business. I could agree with the sign if it had said failure is only final if you quit. But sometimes failure is a great tool to teach you when to change lanes. 
that you'll find this funny. When I was small, I was always very active doing things. Me and my friends got together and I found out I could run faster than all my friends. Which means I didn't have any real fast friends. And then I found out I could jump further. Now you understand, I never was big. I was married, so I was five foot two as a, as a high school freshman. And I was small. But at this time, real young, and these guys who were with me were impressed I could do this. I got in my mind, honest goodness, this is so funny now. I was going, I don't know why, it just caught my attention. I think I've been reading something about Jesse Owens. I was going to be an Olympic long jumper. I know, Brother Dan, that's exactly right. Look at me. Look at the distance, right? <laughs> I barely have room for my knees and my legs. And I'm going to be an Olympic long jumper. Do you know at some point, I had to give up the dream. <laughs> I had to do it. Say, couldn't you overcome? <laughs> no. There's nothing short of a chairlift that could have changed my distance. Face your failures and face your sins. Take reality and responsibility when you've done something against God and against God's Word. Quit blaming people. Accept, accept what is your responsibility in it and get it right with your God. Move forward. That's what you do. Honestly, then look at your strengths. Sometimes people say, well, I can't do anything. Well, that's foolish talk. It really is. It's foolish talk. It's... Uh, it's not accurate and it's not, uh, it's not honoring to God at all because God didn't make you without an ability to do anything. You have to look at your strengths. I heard down the statement as I was thinking about this. When I accomplish something in life, it would be just as ignorant of me to think and act as if I did not have a part in it as it would be arrogant of me to think as if God didn't have a part in it. I'll say it again. When I accomplish something in life, whatever it may be, it would be just as ignorant of me to think or act as if I did not have a part of that accomplishment as it would be arrogant of me to think or act as if God didn't. There's a fellow named Ron Langford. He was a man who was faced with a very hard reality his daughter, whom he loved very much, was killed in an auto accident. She was T-boned by another driver. She wanted to do something to contribute to driver safety. He was a partner in a very lucrative uh, real estate business. And he sold off his partnership and began something called Master Driving, Master Driver driving school. It goes beyond just teaching to drive. It teaches uh, defensive driving and road safety and really a pretty advanced program. He made this, what I think is a wise observation about reality and in teaching and training. Here's what he said because he's known for being tough on his students and not letting them just slack through things. Because like he says, it can be a matter of life or death when you're behind the wheel then later. Here's a statement he made. He said, realistic training brings out our faults in order to make us stronger. And he rather emphasized that any training worth doing will reveal 
the weaknesses or faults that you have in certain areas so those can be focused on and you can go forward. What's it take to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It takes humility. It takes reality. A lot of people talk all kinds of religious talk, but they don't get down to the reality of walking with it. It takes teachability. That's not just one lesson at one level. The word teach itself, that basic word teach, not using the different forms that show up, shows up 37 times in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus' ministry was a teaching ministry. Listen carefully to these verses. I'm not turning you into all these. There's so many. I want to hit them quickly, but not read rapidly. Listen to these verses. Jesus' ministry was a teaching ministry. Look up at me and let's, let's listen here. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Matthew 9.35, it said, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 11.1 says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding His twelve disciples, He departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Matthew 21, verse 23 says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? Matthew 26, 55, In that same hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. Mark 4, verse 1 says, He began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto Him a great multitude. Mark 6, 6 says, And He marveled because of their unbelief, and He went about, He went round about the villages teaching. Mark 6, verse 34, And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd, and He began to teach them many things. And the final one I want to give you is Mark 8, verse 31. It says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus' ministry is a teaching ministry. That's what He did. The Great Commission, which where God told us as believers to take the gospel into the world, uses the word teach. Go and teach all nations, teaching them why we're supposed to do these things. Now, since Jesus' ministry is a teaching ministry, since he gave command to teach, doesn't it make sense that if we're going to follow him, we have to be teachable? We're not going to learn from the master, then we have no right to call him master. Oh, he's still master. It's just a matter of whether we recognize it or not. We we can't change the nature of God. We can't take away one one little part of his holiness from him. We cannot diminish his wisdom. We cannot we cannot uh, in any way quench the fire of his passion or his love. But we do have the capacity to either be benefited by it and be a part of it or to be outside of it because we won't accept it. And that has to do with being teachable. Um, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I know they, I, you've heard the old saying, and it's a cliche almost, 
Greatest ability is teachability. There may be a lot of truth to that statement. The second one's close to it. The second is likened to the first. Greatest ability is flexibility. <laughs> Once you learn something, then know how to apply it in each situation. And then the final one I want to give you tonight is credibility. Credibility. It's sad when people are hampered in their understanding of God because of the lack of credibility of God's people. It's tragic when it comes from the pulpit. That's why I thoroughly disdain ignorant and unfounded illustrations to try to prove Bible truths. The further I go, the more I dislike them. Because foolishness spewed out if you're teaching or preaching, and a number of you in here do both of those. Some kind of crazy thing you can't you can't substantiate, or something that's not realistic. You throw that out there, and God help us. Anybody who speaks much knows how how easily you can get a wrong fact. How easily you can get something tangled when you're speaking. It's it's. Uh, Anybody who's done much speaking has a little mercy on those who do some speaking because they know how easily it is to misspeak. But boy, when it's because we're not diligent, there's no use in it. And just, you know, foolish stuff comes out. Where do we get the idea that the powerful truth of God needs buttressed by foolish and outlandish illustration? Stick with some reality. Stick with where things are. Credibility. You know, uh, it was interesting. I got my hair cut this week and, and I was talking to the barbershop. The fellow started asking me questions. One was asking a question out of Ezekiel. Uh, turned out the fellow in another chair was a Christian man. He was pretty interested. Another fellow was sitting, sitting there, older man. He had gotten done. He was just hanging out listening. And uh, as we were talking and uh, talking about different things, uh, questions came up as far as. Uh, Basically, men who take whatever the latest news story is, and that's that's the sermon that night, you know, whatever. That's a bunch of nonsense. We got something a lot better than that. We have the Word of God. And I was absolutely amazed. There was a little pause in the action there before the next person was coming in, and the question in Ezekiel led me to explaining about the Old Testament, the New Testament, what Christ actually did, and went into detail. And it was interesting. Men in there doing different things, they just stopped. And as I was just giving them verses, this is how this fits. This is what this is talking about. Literally, the one stopped. He had his scissors and stuff, and he just, like this. It wasn't because I'm a spellbinding speaker, it's because, in order, simply given, I had an opportunity to say, here's what the Word of God says about this, here's what you're reading. Do you know that the credibility needs to be there? That's why it's important that we have integrity in what we do. It's important how we conduct ourselves. It's important, and it's important what we endorse, what we're part of. May God help us. I'm telling you, to get that right takes effort. And it requires vigilance because it's real easy to slip off the side of the slope on that one. But we can do the right thing. Brother Jenkins made this statement in a message I heard by way of recording. He said, I don't want anybody to reject my doctrine because of my poor living of my doctrine. 
That's a good statement. I don't want anybody to reject my doctrine because of my poor living of my doctrine. So that's a good thing. Look in Scripture, which is show you best with that. 1 Timothy 4. And this admonition given to Timothy would do well for us to pay attention to because it has in it a truth that will help us with our credibility so we can be used for the Lord. Have you ever heard of somebody being called a credible witness? You know, somebody maybe is called to testify about something and maybe their, their words carry very little or no weight because what they are like. And somebody else could be called on to get up on the witness stand and even though both may be under oath, one has a lot more weight with what they say, either because of knowledge or because of what's known about them. We should be a credible witness for our Savior. That means our actions and our intent needs to come in line together. First Timothy 4, look in verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. An example. An example is something to be followed. So I don't want anybody following me. Uh, you might want to stand down from being real dogmatic about that. Because you claim to follow Christ. While you may not want to be an authority in somebody's lives, I get that. There should be something in you that wants someone to follow you to Jesus. And then you're ready for the thing that should be sobering to you. Because what I'm getting ready to tell you is not a debatable point. It's a reality. Everybody does exert some leadership on others. So you can be influencing people to follow you and you have no clue that they are. We ought to always be a credible witness for Christ that we ought to do well for Him. I'm not talking about position or authority over somebody, any of that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about the influence we have. Matthew chapter 5. One of those rare moments in our church. One of the rare moments in our church where we have it up on the screen too. Matthew chapter 5. Are we getting with it here or what? Matthew chapter 5. I'll tell you what. Mark 5. That's a familiar verse, but not the one I want. Matthew 5. Verse 16. Let whose light? So each of us individually, right? That's what it's talking about. Let your light so shine, I like that, so shine in such a manner, before men that they may see your good works, what you're doing, your credibility, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And see, the purpose of the credibility is to be a credible witness so we can bring honor to our, our Heavenly Father. And uh, I'm grateful for people I've known in life who've done that by their lives. It's encouraging. It's uh, instructive. 
convicting. Uh, it helps me to see other people that follow the Lord, especially through tough times. You ever have somebody, and I'm not going to ask you for the example. Some of you could give them probably. Somebody you saw them go through things, and you sit back and say, man, God was working in them. And you kind of wonder, I wonder if I'd stay true during all that. I wonder what I would do in a situation like that. And yet you've seen God showing through their lives with it. That's, that's a great thing. And, and we get to be a part of that kind of heritage. God said, let your light so shine. So men may see your good works. See, <laughs> all the people around us are just like us. They can't see God. So they need to see Him in you. In your actions and what you do. In your words. And how, how, you, how you love Him. You know, it's a testimony to your neighbors when you go to church on a regular basis. It's a testimony to people you know that they know that's part of your life. It's a testimony in your family and say, oh, we're having a big get-together and we're going to have it Sunday. Well, I'll be there after church is done. And they know that. By the way, three or four times of that and they'll, they'll quit hassling you over it. Also, you know what? They won't hesitate to tell you if you're having a get-together and they've got a ball game at that time. Or almost anything else they're doing in life. I can't be there at that time. I've got such and such. And Sally's got this. And Sammy's got this. And I will be there. Well, it's a big get-together. It's Mammal's 99th birthday. I know, but we got the big game that week. And we'll be there as soon as we can after. Oh, what do all the relatives say? Well, oh, Sammy was in the playoffs. Right? Or am I missing the mark? Now, they may react a little different when you say, well, that's hang a little cake, tell, tell Mamma to eat slow, we'll be there. We may be a little bit late. Well, I don't believe them putting church before their family. Just like they do bowling and soccer and softball and football. And... So get over that kind of peer pressure and just follow the Lord. Be nice. Don't fuss. Don't feel like you got to give an answer. You don't. You don't know me an answer. I'll be there. Now, that's important. I'll be there. And uh, we're, going, we're going to be there. Well, it works. And then when you show up, be nice. Help with some things. Show up and help clean up at the end. That'll just blow some people away completely. Let your works, your day-by-day living, taking care of your responsibilities, paying your bills. All these things. And you know what happens? They glorify your Father, which is in heaven. What's it take to follow Jesus? Well, it takes humility. It takes reality. It takes teachability. And it takes credibility. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank You for Your people. And uh, Lord, I want these in my life. And uh, Lord, um, what I ask You to do is help as I look at the reality and the the responsibility that's mine in this. Father, I'm not asking You to do that. That's mine to do. But I would ask You for strength of desire and ask you for direction in particular situations as they come up. I guess wisdom, Lord, is what I'm really trying to say. To, uh, to live in a way that would bring honor to you. 
God, I pray for your people that desire that. Lord, I pray that they, they will. And I ask you, Lord, also for your folks that are... They're just in so much need of a reality of you. Pray you're blessed. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with me in times of my life where I've wandered off, been busy in your service, but my heart distant from you. And uh, Lord, all kinds of different things. And you've just been patient and good. Lord, I pray that you'll be that way with your people. Draw them to yourself. Help them to grow in grace, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. Maybe, uh, not maybe, I know now's a good time for you to talk to the Lord about these things. Why don't you? Why don't you come ahead, please?